Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. Good morning, everybody. Oh, it's nice to see so many here now. It seems a bit empty. I thought, well, well, you know, if you can preach to one, it's all right, right? Um, First of all, we know that today is the centenary of the First World War, and we know that we don't glorify war. We remember with all humility the great and ultimate sacrifices that were made, not just in this war, but in every war and every conflict where people have fought for freedom. The war changed our lives, didn't it? Completely. The loss, the destruction, the rebuilding, the men who came home different men. If not scarred physically, then they came home scarred mentally. The loss was incredible. And I'm sure if I asked anyone here today, both the younger and the older generations, you would be able to tell me a story, a story that's been passed down to you. You remember and you want to remember. We hold those who have passed, who have died in tragedy or war in our hearts, and we feel for them, for the lost life, for the children they did not have the wife they did not come home to. I'm going to, I I taught in many different grades in school, and one of the favorite grades is the five and six-year-olds, isn't it? And I've got to tell you, now this is a show-and-tell bit. This is my show-and-tell. Okay, I have a picture here. It's a special picture. Uh, It's a picture that sat in an old brown case in my mother's house for many, many years. And we children, we all knew what that picture, who that picture was. And his name was Freddy. Freddy was in that case, but he was also in our hearts. I never knew him. My mother didn't know him. He was an older brother that had died in the First World War. Well, when my mother died... I was living in America, and my mother, she's a big heart, gave away everything. So she had very few possessions when she died, but she had that old brown case, and in it was a tattered photograph of actually Naya's great-uncle, which I told her this morning, it was her great-uncle who died in that war. So I took it home to America, thinking, oh, I'm going to get it sort of framed or something. And uh, anyway, you know how you do. You get on with life and busyness. And and one day I thought, oh, I've got to frame that picture. I've got to frame it. So I went to find it. And lo and behold, I could not find it. I hunted low and high and low. Upstairs in the attic, it was a big house that we lived in in America, in the basement I looked everywhere, and you know, I felt absolutely dreadful. There, my mother, she had kept this precious photo for all those years. In that case, the spirit of that hovered around our house, and I had lost Freddy. It was like losing a person. I'd lost him. I felt so, so sad. But anyway, over a period of months, um, Christmas came around, and I still couldn't find this photograph, and really sticking in my gut that I had lost, lost Freddie. 
You see, my mother also had a child before me, and she had named that child Freddie. And that child died at six months old. So this Freddie was very, very precious. And uh, so anyway, Christmas came, but my, my daughter, she brought in a lovely present. And I guess it was the best present I've ever had. Freddie had had a makeover. She had taken it to her home, and she had put him all together again. What a lovely Christmas present that was. Well, at least I sort of felt better. I thought, oh, ma'am, I didn't lose it. He's still with us, ma'am. So he holds a very special place. And so all the stories, I know you've been watching the TV this week, all those incredible, incredible stories of people's hearts, people's lives have been changed because of the loss, and yet they hold them in their hearts, which is a beautiful thing, isn't it? And God, just as God holds us in his heart. Anyway, he reappeared in a beautiful frame, and all the torn bits were patched up. Freddie'd had a makeover. Now, somehow or other, we want to believe that their sacrifice counted for something, don't we? We want to believe, whoever we hold in our hearts dearly, we want to believe that for some reason that person was here. Whether they're like Freddie who died for six months, or Freddie who died in the war, 21. We want to believe that there's some reason that they lived. And that word, sacrifice, I don't know, it's, it's an old word, isn't it? It's a word that we don't use very often. If I look at my upbringing as a young child, sacrifice was in my home. You know, after the death of, these, of Freddie, you know, I saw my aunts take care of my grandparents. There was sacrifice in the home that I knew and I loved. It wasn't a bad word. It's a lovely word. It was a lovely word because these people in my life showed me what it was like to care for others. There were less people going to nursing homes back then. They were in our homes. They died in our homes. They were laid out on our tables. And we said goodbye to them. And so I've often had that sort of funny thing about this word sacrifice because it really isn't a bad word. But it's become a bad word because our generation is now, it's like, I think after the war, our parents wanted to give, didn't they? So they wanted to give, and they gave us everything. And, you know, we became, you know, industry was important, became a world of giving. But, and also, paradoxically, it became a world of getting. And that's how it's been. So I, as I thought about today and, and what the Lord was going to give me, kept coming back to me uh, at the word sacrifice. And of course, there is one sacrifice, is Jesus Christ. But today I want to think about the sacrifice, the common daily sacrifice. And I, I'm going to read from, first of all, Romans 12. Therefore, this is Paul speaking, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to this, the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, who are many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is in showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. But love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now this, certainly if we lived like this, there'd be no wars, would there? If we lived like that scripture, there would be absolutely no wars. This is part of Paul's letter to Rome. It's his advice It is believed that he was on his third missionary journey when he wrote it. He'd never ministered there, but had hoped to visit for several years. And uh, while the letter is primarily addressed to Gentiles, there was a considerable minority of Jews in the Church of Rome. As as if you read the whole of of, um, the Romans, he addresses issues for both Gentiles and Jews. 
Uh, this line, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, um, to offer ourselves as a living uh, sacrifice. When we listen to those living sacrifice, what does that really mean for us? Well, I think the key here really is the therefore, because the therefore, it follows on the, the, the part in Romans chapter 11. And I want to read this because this is what Paul is thinking about our God. And I'll read this now. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable, this is 11.33 to 36, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Now, Paul often, there's love, these lovely little pieces in Paul, uh, in Romans and in Colossae, uh, where you get these sort of lovely bits that are, are just, it's like he's pouring out this praise to God. And um, I want to read that also this in Colossians 1.17, he talks about God and Jesus. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy for God, is talking about Jesus, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And this is the attitude that Paul has before he says this, to the Romans. Therefore, because we have this God, because we have this God who holds all things together, because he is supreme and he is the head of our church, and the church is us. The church is us. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, it's in view of God's mercy, it's in view of God's love, it's in view of all that God would give us. He said, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So if we only understood the greatness of the mercy of God, we would not hesitate to give our lives to him. But sadly... I've been in the position. Often we're afraid of submitting, afraid of sacrificing, afraid of giving up those habits that take us away from him. Why? Because we are unsure of the character of our God. 
Because if we were sure of the character of our God, we would not have this doubt to give ourselves in sacrifice to him. This incredible, merciful God who has shown himself to us through the offering of his son. He is a father who only wants to give good to his children. Submitting our bodies to God, says Paul, is our spiritual act of worship. Paul is asking the Roman church not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. When we get to grips with God, he's ready and willing to show us what his will is, what his good, pleasing, and perfect will is. God wants every area of our lives, and he wants to be central to who we are. He wants, of course, our submission to his will. And as we pray and we think and uh, read the scriptures, we are then renewing our minds. We forget that our God is a good God. He wouldn't give us anything that is bad for us. But that doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to good people. We know that. We know that bad things happen to good people. Certainly when my husband had a stroke, um, you know what happened and how I felt? I started to think about all you guys, all the people in our church, you, the body of Christ, who've suffered. There's been much suffering in our church. And until then, until my husband had a stroke and he was stricken, I didn't have quite the opening and the eyes to see. So, I think Mike is going to talk on this later, I think, that bad things do happen to good people. But in our difficult circumstances, God's mercy and grace is working out his purposes. Now, I can't imagine what it was like in the wars, you know, I imagine what has dripped down to me. It's dripped down to me, all this war stuff, this, the people who died, the people who suffered. But I can't imagine losing my child and uh, losing my brother in, uh, you know, and there, and there were so many people. It wasn't just one. It was like everyone. I suppose there was the camaraderie ship there because they knew. And this is what we need in our own body of Christ, the camaraderie, the camaraderie to know that we are in this boat together. We are in this suffering together. We are in the joy together. So Paul is concerned about the everyday will of God. He's in this chapter. It's about the everyday will of God and what that might look like in our lives. God's will is not a list of do's and don'ts, but it's built on a relationship that we have with him and the trust that we develop through a lifetime. It doesn't come easy. This renewing of the mind doesn't come overnight. It becomes as we dwell, as we allow God to, as we learn who he is. It's so important to know who he is because unless we know that, we won't be able to trust him. And as the Holy Spirit works in our heart, and as the fruit of the Spirit reveals itself 
to us. I've had quite a surprise when my, since Steve has had a stroke because I've been surprised by the joy. I've been surprised. But through it all, through the difficulties, through the bad days, I've been surprised by the joy that God can give. And not just in, through people, through other people who have touched me and touched my husband. There is surely nothing greater to shield us from the difficulties that we might encounter in life than receiving the life of Christ, offering us joy, offering us kindness. How much kindness I have received through the body of Christ. And what I love about God is that he is... His, one of his attributes, even though he is a spirit, as we see up here, God is a spirit, he, one of his attributes is that he is so gentlemanly because he never demands us to come to him. He never intrudes upon himself upon us, but he gently says, come, all those who are thirsty, come, all those who are in need of me. He is there when we invite him to come alongside us. When we let his spirit in and we learn about his word, we will find that our minds will be renewed. It's not easy. God doesn't say it's going to be easy. But he will renew us and transform us through the Holy Spirit, through faith in our resurrected Lord as we welcome him in. Through the small things. This morning when we were praying, you know, I was quite nervous before. This is the first time I've preached before since Steve has had the stroke. And quite nervous coming in today, a bit shaky. And we prayed here. And uh, the Holy Spirit just zapped me. Now, I wasn't expecting it. He hasn't zapped me for a long time. <laughs> but it was a surprise. It was like, gosh, God, you know, you're giving me this strength right here, right now, in this life. And um, it's, it's a wonderful thing. We belong, to, it says in this chapter, uh, verses 3 to 9, he says, he's talking about how the church is one body, that's us, and each member belongs to the other. If we were to translate this to our church, it would mean that you belong to me and that I belong to you. We belong to each other. And we have incredibly different gifts to bring to each other in our church. And Paul is urging the church of Rome to use these gifts according to the faith each person has. And what I love about this is that he exhorts honoring one another above yourself. That's something we can do. It's not a gift. It's something we can actually do. We can honor each other above ourselves. Humility echoes throughout this chapter. He says, do you think, do, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. My dad used to say that to me. Be humble, he used to say. What do you mean? Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Uh, but with wise judgment, he's asking them to understand who they are and how they can function to their best of their ability within the context of the church. He asked, do you serve, do you teach, do you encourage, whatever your gift is. But this is the big, the bit that we don't, this isn't a gift. It's something he's asking us to do. Yes, 
whatever your gift is, to do it cheerfully. Mm, that's a good one, isn't it? And I think that means without complaining. Okay, so this is the will of God. This is the will of God. It's not so complex. That we should recognize each other's gifts and use them for the benefit of each other. He's talking about the body of Christ, the body of the church. And he ends this chapter with an incredible practical definition of love, which surely must be what the will of God is. And uh, it's, it's a list, and it's not gifts, because he's talking about gifts in the middle part of it, uh, to recognize our gifts. But now he's sort of saying, uh, you can do this stuff. You know, you can really do this. This is my advice to you. My advice to you is to hate evil. Hate evil and cling to the good. You know, sometimes, you know, it's, evil is a kind of funny thing, isn't it? It's, there are shades out there. Sometimes we think we do something, it might be good, but, well, we think it's good, but it might be taking us away from what? We're not listening to God, maybe, or something. Anyway, hate evil, cling to the good. I like the next one because it's challenged me. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Devoted means I've got to be devoted to you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> of course, we can't be devoted to everybody, but we have that attitude of devotion maybe to everyone and do what we can do. Uh, be devoted to one another. What a challenge for us to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And uh, I looked up the word devoted. So I thought, oh my gosh, that's a biggie. Devoted, loyal, faithful, true, staunch, steadfast, constant, committed, dedicated, and that's and devout. So be devoted. It's it's a one that I hadn't thought about before that I've got to be devoted to you. I've got to be, but as I let the Spirit lead me to be, uh, I would like to do it because of God's will. It's God's will that I am devoted to you. All right. Um, Honor one another above yourself. I like that one. I I grew up with that one. I grew up in a big home, uh, uh, lots of people. And uh, I learned that as a child, to honor the other person. Because there's always somebody, you know, we should, shouldn't we? We should honor each other and love them above ourselves. You know, not, we tend to want to put, you know, I, I loved being the star as a kid. You know, I loved being the star. But it's okay to be a star, but we still have to honor, uh, <laughs> honor each other. <laughs> All right. And never be lacking in zeal. Now, I didn't, I never understood the word zeal. I used to hate the word zeal. I had a husband who was always zealous. And he always, he, I used to hate it. He was always like, there, ready, you know. And it used to annoy me to death. But anyway, but it's here in the scripture. It says, never be lacking in zeal. So that's, you know, and then I, I've been thinking to myself, and God did teach me something a couple of weeks ago. He gave me that verse, rejoice in the Lord always, and I say unto you, rejoice. Oh, no, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made, what is it? We will rejoice in it. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We used to sing it as with my kids, you know, in the car. This is the day, this is the day. We used to sing it in the car with the kids. And it never until now, I'm 70 years old, oh, this, this year, and 
it's just come to me that the day is not just yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It's till he comes. It's till I see my Savior face to face. It's through this stroke. It's through all these difficulties. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. And we rejoice and be glad in it. Okay, so there's a whole list of things here, and uh, you can read them yourself. Practice hospitality. It's interesting that hospitality is not necessarily a gift here. Practice hospitality, it says. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So that's being sensitive to one another, isn't it? And knowing what's going on in another person's life, because it's hard sometimes. Lots of things happen. I know I've been in a position where perhaps you don't know somebody's died or something's happened and you're a bit flippant and then you you suddenly realize that uh, this person's going through a really hard time. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people uh, people of low position. You know, uh, we certainly have the example in Jesus himself, don't we? Jesus lowered himself and came to this earth for us. He did not have to associate with us. He did not have to die for us. But he showed himself that supreme servant's heart, didn't he? Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. So in other words, this community, this community that we have to try and do what is right, to live in harmony with one another, as it were, and to live at peace with everyone as far it's, uh, as it's possible. Do not take revenge. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Then we'll just close with, the, well, I won't close, the, the chapter closes with, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I, as we've, I said earlier, it would be a different world if we could live like this, wouldn't it? Totally, if everybody lived like this. But our world is fragile, and human society is blind to the great wisdom of our God. There's a couple of things I looked up. Jonathan Edwards, who was a well-known Christian theologian, he said this, and I find it quite insightful, Human society is deeply fragmented when anything but God is our highest love. If our highest goal in life is the good of our family, says Edwards, we will tend to care less for other families. If our highest goal is for the good of our nation, tribe, or race, then we will tend to become racist or nationalistic. If our ultimate goal in life is our own individual happiness, then we will put our own economic and power interests ahead of others. And Edwards concludes that only if God is our summum bonum, our ultimate good and life center, until we find our heart drawn at that time when when our God is in that right place, when we are, giving him and submitting to him and knowing that he should be our all, 
It's not until then that we, our heart will be drawn out, not just to our families, but to races and classes and the, in the whole world. But sadly, narcissism pervades our society today. That word has become very prevalent. Sacrifice has disappeared. Narcissism I hear about all the time. And narcissism is driving our young people into all kinds of problems. Uh, we are more concerned about how we look, how we feel, and our own interests. And uh, C.S. Lewis says it in a different way. The Christian way is different, both harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want just this much of your time and this much of your money and this much of your work. I want you, not your things. I have not come to torture your natural self, but I will give you a new self instead. So as we give ourselves to God, as we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, God is going to change us, renewing our minds and giving us the indwelling joy of the Spirit, giving us the life of Christ. We, uh, the list that I read, um, Paul writes, it's not something that comes all at once because we're not perfect, is it, are we? We cannot live in perfect harmony, harmony until we ourselves submit our lives to the one who has the power to help us. So if we long to be free from the doubting spirit that we all have from time to time, our hard hearts, our bad habits... This hinges on, these, on the opening words of this chapter in view of God's mercy, in view of that incredible one that God is. Let us offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, totally submitted to the Lord whose spirit frees us, frees us from evil, renews our minds from the inside out. We are not at all bound to the laws but we are bound to the one who gave us the law. He gave us a law so we could come to him to accept forgiveness, to accept love, to accept the spirit of Christ who will free us to love each other, will free us to work with each other according to our faith. So I pray as our church that we will, I hope this, this chapter will help us and just remind us to come to our Father who forgives our sins, who renews our minds. And now we are free to accept the love and the joy, the peace and the patience and the kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's all the, the fruit of the Spirit. Can you imagine that as a Christmas present in a big box? Can you imagine it? Having all that stuff shoved into a box to give to somebody. It only comes from him, doesn't it? It doesn't come from us. But we, it does come from us because he, wants, he invites us, doesn't he? He doesn't push us into a corner. He invites us. He wants us to freely come to him. So I pray that as the body of Christ in this church, with all the amazing gifts that God has given, that we will let the spirit of Christ dwell in us richly, that we may find out what is the good and pleasing will of God in our daily lives. For Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at 
abigavenibaptist.co.uk